Welcome to episode three of the Swampflix podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. And I'm James Cohn. This is the podcast version of the movie review website Swampflix. We're coming to you from Mid City, New Orleans. Uh, what are we talking about today, James? So, we're going to be talking about our top 10 AI movies of the 2010s. And for that conversation, our friend and novelist uh, Brian Perkins is going to be joining us. Uh, and after that, uh, I'm going to make James watch the movie Hashtag Horror for the first time. And all of that's coming up to you right now. Uh, I actually lied in that intro just now. We're actually going to start off by talk- talking about Hashtag Horror. Uh, this is our movie of the minute um, segment where James and I keep trading back and forth recommendations to each other. Uh, last time, James maybe watched the uh, sex thriller Boxing Helena. Uh, <laughs> and this time, we're going to be talking about a movie from 2015 called Hashtag Horror. It's the uh, directorial debut of... Actress and quote unquote itch girl Tara Subkoff. Um, this is a campy slasher flick about cyberbullying, uh, a group of teenage girls at a slumber party uh, in sort of a wealthy mansion full of fine art are uh, <laughs> basically posting mean insults about each other on an online social game, and they keep getting points for uh, each insult. Uh, depending on how mean it is and how many people like the insult. And then that sort of escalates to this uh, crescendo where every time one of them gets murdered by a mysterious killer, uh, the kills start getting points in the same way that the insults do. Uh, It's very difficult to determine how serious this movie is about its Mm -hmm. anti-bullying message. Um, And there's this really strange visual aspect to it that looks like a social media game like, say, Candy Crush or Farmville, where all these emojis start exploding on the screen and people get hearts and likes for uh, hurting each other's feelings. Um, So I just want to ask James off the bat uh, how you felt watching this strange movie. So I definitely think it has an element of camp going throughout it. I also think that the social commentary as far as the anti-bullying kind of takes precedent over the horror because the film kind of like you say crescendos in the last 20 minutes to your typical slasher flick but really the bulk of the movie is about the girls bullying each other and and I do think like watching parts of it with these girls like bashing each other about how they're fat or they're lesbian honestly it made me feel really sad Because I do think this happens a lot with teenage girls. And I think the director was focused more on that, getting that message across, than she was making, you know, a scary horror movie. And I do think it works on that level. And I think it is intentionally campy, but I, I also think it has a strong social commentary point as well. And I, I think the way she portrays the adults in the film is pretty biting as well. Cause they're all on their phones and they have their addictions as well. And they're trying to tell the kids to stop doing this or whatever, but they're just hypocrites. You know, the dad scolding his daughter for being on a, her phone and he's checking his like <laughs> Farmville game to, you know, see if he got his points or whatever. So I don't know. As a commentary, on bullying, I thought it was really good as a horror movie. It didn't really do much for me, but I really liked the visual aspect. A lot of it felt like a hallucination with these weird, like things jumping out at you, like you said, like Candy Crush or one of those kind of games, or like the uh, intro to Tim and Eric where all the cat heads explode. Except like, yeah, it's, it's just all like, emojis. Yeah, visual <laughs> overload, uh, and that was really. And the whole film was shot really well and the house itself you know like you said with all the artwork but it was this kind of like pop artwork it kind of i don't want to say trashy or lowbrow but it wasn't like great art right there it was kind of the postmodern art that a lot of people hate on um so that and i do know like she's an artist herself so i think she chose those pieces uh, for a particular effect or whatever. So, I, I mean, I definitely definitely enjoyed it. Did you think that it was effective as a social commentary on bullying? Uh, 
So what I, what I like most about what the movie does is that it turns these like twelve year old like concerns that a twelve year old girl would have into horror. Right. So like uh, what you were talking about earlier, like uh, cell phone addiction. Um, one of the times that they get most scared in the movie, like even more scared than when people start dying, is when they all put their cell phones away for a couple hours. They're like, "What are we gonna do?" Like, <laughs> right, without our phones. So there's that. Uh, there's another segment where um, one of the girls is running through the woods while all these mean tweets start popping up on the screen. She's like, "No, no!" <laughs> right. And they're like chasing her, sort of the way like a killer would chase her. And then the dad, uh, I believe Timothy Hutton plays him. Timothy Hutton, yep. Um, so he uh, is this basically just imposing adult man, which is a terrifying threat to these girls because he basically comes in to defend his daughter's honor. Cause right, been... and that's actually the scariest scene in the movie is when he shows up and he starts brandishing a knife. Right. And, it's, and they seem more terrified of him than they do when they actually start dropping off and... And I actually, I think he does a pretty good job in the movie of, I don't know how much like caffeine he was on or whatever <laughs> for that scene. Cause he just like goes straight up maniacal, but it's like one of the most enjoyable scenes of the movie. Yeah. But I, I do think to your point, the horror in hashtag horror is the, the bullying and your social reputation. It really isn't getting murdered. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like. The message of like bullying and its effects on young girls and their self-image is way more, I think, important in the film than the actual like murdering. Mm-hmm. That kind of takes you know a backseat. But I, it, it's difficult to uh, decide how serious they are about the bullying um, as like a social message, though, because the movie does go over the top on the camp end. To the point where it kind of undermines its message. Like, uh, there's a couple lines, like, um, towards the end, one of the girls is like, uh, like, her friends are being slaughtered one by one, and she's like, I'm never sleeping over here again, this is bullshit. Or, like, uh, there's this other line where it's like, being a 12-year-old girl is hard enough, let's not make it any worse for each other, guys. Or Uh, also, you know, the fat girl that gets picked on the entire movie, she also is, like, stuffing her face with muffins. Right. you know, and cake as well. So it's this weird, like, you feel bad for her. They're relentless and they're teasing, but then she also kind of brings it on herself a little bit. And she makes fun of the rest of them. Uh, like, she picks on another character because her mother died the year before and she's not over it yet. Like, they're all really hard on each other. Yeah, they're other. really nasty to each other. It definitely doesn't paint uh, young girls in a positive <laughs> light. Um, but again, I think it is... I don't think it's the maybe the satire that it could have been, but it yeah. does have a satirical element going through it. But and definitely the self absorption, self absorption of the parents is very much a target as much as it is about the children, uh, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, because the very last scene, uh, there's like some woman on the computer reading about the murders, and her like little girls trying to get her to play with her, and she's like, "No, go away! I'm trying to read yeah. all this stuff online." Um, and it's like a warning to like pay attention to your kids more than your tablet. Yeah, and to I don't know to go back to the the kind of design and look of the film. Um, the fact that it takes place inside of what's basically a glass house, mm-hmm. and there's also a scene later where one of the girls gets stabbed, and she's in this glass enclosed uh, tennis court. I do think that that was sort of deliberate or that that imagery is pretty potent because it just the way when you put your life online like that and everyone can see in, yeah, you know, but it also like a glass house, it can come crumbling down it just any little chink in the armor, whatever could bring the whole thing down. And I think that's part of the, the message of the film, but I, I don't know the it's again, it's hard to tell like, was this imagery trying to make a larger point or was it just because it looked cool? I don't know. But and same thing with the art inside of the, the house. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that was a deliberate, like she picked those pieces for a reason or it was just because it looked cool. They or, do look cool. <laughs> they do look cool. But you know, I, I just wonder if there was more to it than that or it was just purely aesthetics. 
I think the movie does this thing that I enjoy a lot uh, in like some of my favorite films, where it like combines the highest of like fine art with just like the lowest genre trash. Uh, and like the movie debuted at the modern, uh, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And then went straight to VOD with, like, bad uh, reviews, like, a few months later. Which is kind of, like, a good encapsulation of what it does. Because it does look really cool, and it's got a very distinct look to it. Mm -hmm. But just look at the title. It's hashtag horror. Like, that is such a corny, trashy title. And the the cover, too, is just, like, the girl's face with the bloody hashtag. (laughs) It's definitely... I mean, again, it is sort of like boxing, Helena, in that it's mixing highbrow art films with like the lowest common denominator. Uh, and the, those movies are really appealing to me. I, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie yeah. for that, but um, I could definitely see how the, your average film goer would be like, this is garbage. Right. Like. <laughs> yeah. If you're expecting like uh, some kind of gritty horror film uh, with like normal genre thrills, it's not like that. You kind of yeah. have to like sit back and laugh uh, yeah, or if you're expecting a really serious commentary on bullying, you're not really going to get that either. You get some something in the middle yeah. that kind of touches on all that stuff. And it in the end, I think that's why it ends up being a little disjointed and hard to pin down. And the director's part of, like you were saying, she's part of this like fine art world where she was like, uh, I think she was a fashion designer. Yeah, she was a, like apparently one of the top designers in the 90s. And yeah. She also is an artist herself. And that label It Girl just pretty much means that you're, like, plugged in in all these different arenas where, like, you're a mover and a shaker, you know? So she's part of this sort of detached uh, intellectual um, side of things. And Mm -hmm. I think she's using that detachment to be playful in a way that a lot of people aren't going to connect to. Like, almost like this is, like, an in-joke for her friends, you know? Uh, or she just made it for her own sake, which is a really awesome kind of way to approach movies. Yeah, I mean, when the girls are, like, modeling the <laughs> clothes and when they're trying on the tiaras and... Uh, yeah, I definitely see, like, her influence, like, the world she comes from of, like, fashion is yeah. all over that movie. And also from just, like, the clothes that the mother wears are very, like, trip are very hip and trendy... Uh, but I think she's looking at that through a satirical lens. And that part definitely um, satirizes just materialism and just, like, name brand, uh, you know, like, fashion designer brand um, obsession. The dad drives, like, a Ferrari. Right. You know, and they name drop the artists that they have inside the house. And And I believe that's Timothy Hutton's house. Like, I doubt all that art is in there all the time, but... um, they filmed it in his house. Oh, that's Timothy Hutton's yeah. house. Oh, wow. But uh, going back to the dress-up part, it reminded me of... Did you see Sofia Coppola's The Bling Ring? No, what? I ha- I haven't seen that it's yet. It's basically like these teens are breaking into these celebrities' houses and like mm-hmm. trying on their clothes and just like pretending like they're rich. And that's what these little girls are doing. They're just, like pretending that they're rich heiresses already. Right, um, and I mean, you get the sense through the whole movie that they're all spoiled. Yeah. Like they come from a rich, uh, upper-class upbringing. And yeah, they're when their mother leaves and they're kind of left to their own, they end up doing basically the same thing the mother's doing. They're like trying on the fashionable clothes. They start drinking and their mother's like in AA. So you can kind of see like the cycle. Oh, definitely. Sort of. I, I think that was like a big part of the movie too was like they're going to end up just like their mother if – well, if they weren't all murdered. But <laughs> – so uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about um, that kind of complicates whether or not this is a serious movie or not is the supernatural element. Because apparently this house has had murders in it before. And then uh, there's it, this um, idea that this location is where the four winds converge. And right. there's these evil spirits that uh, make these like violent episodes happen. Yeah, but see, they talk about all that and it just sounds so hokey. But then the one girl is like, four winds, that sounds like a fart. <laughs> so it's like she's even acknowledging like this is ridiculous yeah they're just kind of paying it lip service yeah and it just seemed like they just added that in there to kind of bring the camp level over the yeah. top and I don't know I, I thought that was funny and 
it's kind of a kind weird of, tip of the hat. Like, like this is a joke, and you should sort of not take this too seriously. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. I think if you're a horror fan going in and you're looking for like a real horror movie that has scares, like you're not really gonna find it. And if you're again like looking for that strong social commentary, you're really not gonna find it. it the movie is definitely like winking at you the entire time. And it is kind of like a singular work. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a movie exactly like this before. Um, especially with, like, um, the sort of the mean social media games popping up on the screen, getting really colorful and psychedelic. And then there's these uh, hashtags that appear on the screen. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, hashtag submit. And then the hashtag itself will, like, pull a gun on you and, like, fire a bullet at the screen yeah. or, like, slash the screen with a knife. It's just a strange. Uh, I adoption of like modern online crap like it's just trash but I but visually I mean it it is pretty awesome oh, yeah. like that's probably the thing that stands out more than anything else is like the visuals and the way it incorporates that kind of you know like it's like something you would see in a slot machine <laughs> those kind of graphics like just coming at you you know almost popping off the screen that's probably what I'll remember more than anything else from the movie. And even though it's flawed, I definitely look forward to seeing what this director does in the future. Cause I do think she has like an eye, um, a very unique perspective is what I would say. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about it before we wrap up? No, I mean, I would just sum up what I said. Like it's, it's flawed. It definitely, I think is tongue in cheek. It's campy, but it's definitely memorable. The visuals are pretty amazing. And overall, I did really enjoy it. Um, I guess one thing I want to note before we leave is just the soundtrack by uh, EMA. It's just like this indie oh, uh, that, pop artist. No, that is – that's a good thing to bring up too is like the music felt like stuff that 12-year-old girls would listen to. But it was scary. Like, <laughs> But a lot of that EDM yeah. like kind of – you know, trap music stuff is scary, right? But that's kind of what's popular right now, and I. So I think that was definitely part of. Yeah, she did a great too. job with the soundtrack. I've never listened to her stuff. I know she's kind of a popular art uh, musician, mm-hmm. but uh, I definitely recommend giving this soundtrack a listen because it's got this really spooky modern vibe right. to it. No, and I, you know, I love that like trap music and that kind of sound. And there were parts of the movie where the soundtrack would come in. And I'd be like, yeah, like I'd be bobbing my head. Yeah. Like, this is really good stuff. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause we hadn't touched on that yet. Soundtrack is very good. There's nothing that can like elevate uh, a horror movie, like some awesome synths. Like mm-hmm. whenever a good synth track kicks in, it kind of, you know, like those old John Carpenter soundtracks just kind of elevate the material. Yeah. And those old, like the like drum machine. Yeah. Sound. I, I really like that too. What about you? Uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, that, that's about it. Um, uh, the movie's already available for video on demand. It did not take very long for that to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know that everyone will enjoy it. It's not something with mass appeal, but um, if you like that intersection between like campiness and just uh, fine art seriousness uh there's some kind of weird push and pull between those two things in this film yeah there's a little bit you know you got you got fashion you got the cool music there is some blood you have some like over-the-top performances and then if you want to look for a social commentary you can find it there too (laughs) so it does have a little bit for everybody check it out bye Now it's time for our AI discussion. Uh, we found 10 sort of high-profile movies about artificial intelligence from the last six years. Uh, I'm not going to pretend this is every uh, artificial intelligence movie that's come out since 2010, because as I learned last time with the Evil Doll discussion, there's a bunch of stuff that <laughs> just sort of like goes under the radar. But uh, these are probably the 10 um, top AI movies of the last six years. Um, and we sort of rated them 1 through 10. 
joining us for this discussion is uh, novelist Brian Perkins. Hi, how y'all doing? <laughs> um, so yeah, me, James, and Brian sort of uh, compiled our uh, our ratings for these films, and we're going to go from best to worst. Uh, so coming in dead last, uh, <laughs> well-deserved, is this uh, film Transcendence from 2014, uh, starring Johnny Depp. Uh, what did y'all think of this movie? I mean, it was a flop, on right. it. like in every way for me. It had big ideas, like I liked the idea of someone loading their consciousness onto a computer, like, but I just can't take Johnny Depp seriously as the top, like you know, uh, intellectual on AI in the world. And like, it just was not believable. Yeah. I, I had a really hard time believing that his girlfriend or whatever would go along with all that for so long. Like, right. Yeah. So basically, um, he dies, right. And he uploads, uh, his consciousness into a computer program. Uh, and his lover or his wife is trying to decide whether it's actually him or, just an artificial version of him. Or a version, or like, the real him and the computer kind of meshed together. Right. Uh, but what was kind of surprising to me is the director did the cinematography for Inception. Mm-hmm. So, but the look of the movie wasn't anything I thought was like spectacular. And it wasn't really that exciting like most of the dramas, them like typing away on a computer. There's no like explosions. The, the gray no. goop's pretty cool, but you know that's just like a gray fog in the air or whatever. Yeah, and I. So yeah, the goop is what his program trying to take over the world. Yeah, he got the, all the nanobots that he can control, nanobots. and he's trying to take over people. Like, puts the nanobots inside them, and he can control humans now. Yeah, and apparently it was. Uh, there's this thing called like the blacklist scripts, basically scripts that have been around in Hollywood for a long time that haven't been produced. So this script has been out there for a long time and, and you can kind of see why, like it has bold ideas, but it just does not pull it off. I think a Luke Basson could have done this well. Like, uh, remember his movie Lucy from, Mm -hmm. uh, that he could have made this sort of a ridiculous fun movie, but there's nothing fun about this. Uh, I did kind of like the revolutionary Luddites, though. Oh, yeah, they were cool. I thought that was interesting if they would uh, flesh them out more, because, I mean, like you said, Johnny Depp's acting was just boring in it. (laughs) Yeah. And it it definitely seemed to take a uh, pro-science kind of... Like, the Luddites are supposed to be the kind of bad guys in it. Right. When really... I don't know. Are they... Didn't it, like, start out... And then he goes, oh, 15 years, or, or 15 years earlier or whatever. I really hate it whenever movies do that. Yeah, and what's the point? It's like, okay, you showed us the very ending and didn't give us anything. Then you just went back to the actual beginning of the story. Yeah. Like, pointless. Uh, you could have gotten that out, like, through the present day. Right. I, you think, know. I think Automata, the next one we're supposed to talk about, I think they did that too. And it was just... Yeah. That one's... the same lines. Yeah. Well, um, the one thing that this movie does sort of uh, tackle that is part of a lot of these films in this list is the idea of singularity, where, like, he's basically trying to save the world by getting rid of humans and making everything a computer, um, which could be interesting, but it just isn't in this movie. It's just yeah. not. It Again, it's just a flop for right. me, so... All right, moving on. Uh, like Brian said, the next movie is Automata. Uh, it's from... Uh, it's like a Spanish-Bulgarian co-production starring Antonio Banderas. Uh, came out in America in 2014. Uh, it's basically about this version of the future where solar flares have knocked out a lot of our technology, and we have robots doing manual labor, uh, and they have two overriding rules. One is that they have to prevent uh, harm to humans, and they can't alter themselves to stop them from reaching that same singularity as uh, right. Johnny Depp reached in Transcendence. So what y'all think of this movie? Well, that was like yeah. a- Asimov's Three Laws ripoff, right? Right. Like, I don't know the Three Laws off the top of my head, but it's it's like follow follow humans, don't hurt, hurt humans, and don't hurt yourself or something, something like, like that, that, too. But, I mean, right off the bat when they were talking about those, I was like, oh, well, okay, this is just a... Another Asimov robot story about 
the three laws? Are they going to go crazy? Like he did, I Robot as Asimov. Oh yeah. So <coughs> I, I don't know. The, really, the only thing I wrote down for this one was Melanie Griffith bad. <laughs> she was like really bad. You can like, say that about a lot of her performances, I'm sure. I guess so, but in this one especially, man, it just like every time she was on screen, like the way she delivered the dialogue, it just. I thought she was really awful in this movie. It. Well, I, I rated this one a little higher than y'all, just because I liked the look of it. Like, the yeah. low-tech robots looked really cool. And I liked the point um, in the film, Antonio Medeiros' character has these, like, philosophical conversations with the first AI uh, in the middle of this, like, irradiated desert. Mm-hmm. And it's just this weird, like, sort of break where the, the plot comes to a halt, and he just hashes out these ideas with this, uh, this like, original... AI. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. So that was like the best part. Where he's sitting there in the desert and he's like, well, if you leave me here, you're killing me, essentially. It's like he's trying to trick them into doing what he wants by appealing to their basic protocols. Did anybody else notice, though, that this movie has like a ton of plot holes? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, when they brought the baby in out of the middle of nowhere, that was just ridiculous. Yeah, and when he's like drinking liquor. In the middle of the desert, obviously he's already dehydrated. Like, what? It makes no sense. <laughs> and I think that's a problem a lot of these movies have, is that they have these big sci-fi ideas that they sort of put in front of basic, like, plot and characterization. And they sort of let the movie get away from itself uh, by not really focusing on telling a story. Uh, like, this movie sort of just gets lost in the desert, uh, and it just kind of drags uh, once he gets out there. <laughs> but I think if... You look at our list, the ones at the top definitely, like, have that... They have heart, yeah, too. Not cute. just, like, ideas, but they have, like, a soul to them. And this movie, to me, didn't really have that. Yeah. Well, okay, uh, moving on to the next one uh, from 2015 is this film, Uncanny. Uh, I wanted uh, I wanted to like it yeah, so me too. bad. <laughs> and I, I did I like parts it of it. more than y'all liked it, too, even despite... Uh, some of the really poor aspects. Yeah. To it. <laughs> well, this is kind of like a gender <laughs> reversal of uh, last year's Ex Machina. It's a Turing test uh, with a male scientist and this male robot, uh, and this um, woman comes in to sort of uh, determine whether or not he's uh, he has actual artificial intelligence. Um, she's a reporter for some sort of sci-fi magazine, but she's kind of naive and like not very smart in a way that's very strange for her to be so high up in the sci- in the science community um so yeah like y'all were saying i really wanted to like this movie uh there's just something off about the performance from the two male leads in this film well but the thing the thing is knowing the ending which we'll get to we will spoil the ending of this right um <laughs> that kind of makes sense that they're a little bit robotic or uh, right and i mean I, re- I, re- I really like how, um, what is the robot's name? David? Yeah. Adam is Adam, well, the Adam's a robot. Yeah. robot. And the way, well, the way that he, like, uh, avoided eye contact with the camera and with her and things like that, I thought he was playing it as, like, a person with Asperger's Syndrome. Uh, yeah. I think they, she even and says something about like, that. She's like, am I here to interview your Asperger super programmer or something. Right. He's like, no, and, that's actually a robot. And so I really liked his performance on that, actually. And because, I mean, that's how I feel like an AI actually would be. You know, they'd be really smart on the inside, but it's smart just like, born and not ha- know how to interact with people. You know, at mm-hmm. one point he walks in the bathroom or whatever, and then later goes and tries to research on the sex. I mean, research on the internet about sex and Google's intercourse or something like that. (laughs) It really seemed like his performance, you know, the other two characters, I really had trouble with their acting and their believability and stuff like that. Yeah. I think especially the female lead that played Joy, I think her name was, like, would not a good performance. And then also David... I from the second first time he was on the screen, I was like, "There's something." He's so like, smug in this weird, smug, awful way. Yeah, it's very so over the top. Very um, off-putting. And okay, so the spoiler 
just to get this out the way so we can actually talk about the movie. Uh, David isn't the scientist. David is the robot. Dun, dun, dun. So that's pointing to, like, a problem in these movies. When you have a, an actor who has to play this, like, artificial intelligence, they start acting in this weird, gross way where, like, you don't really believe that they're a real human being. So from the start, you're already like, oh, this guy's kind of just off. I like hate listening <laughs> right. to him talk. So when it's revealed mm-hmm. at the end that he's like a robot, you're like, oh, of course. That, that kind of makes sense. Fix it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that doesn't fix the two hours of like smug asshole. Right. <laughs> but then, but then the real ending, the post credits ending where it's revealed that Joy is pregnant. Right. Cause we only that, find out that, uh, who the real robot is after the journalist has sex with him. Right. Yeah. And then we find out... You can go ahead and say that. <laughs> All right, so... What are the implications of that, that being revealed? That they like, a fully functional human being who can produce semen? <laughs> or or, or he... that the dude used his semen in the robot uh. to, like, <laughs> essentially impregnate her. And that's really... Really and really, out. all the exact all the implications from that aren't yeah. good. <laughs> no, whatever whatever good. that tag at the end of the credits was, it just really made the movie a ton worse. <laughs> yeah, and it made it like very creepy too, because yeah. there's an element of like almost like rape a little bit. If yeah, I mean, I mean like, especially if it's his sperm, like also yeah. just tricking a woman to have sex with a robot is kind of just awful. Fuck yeah, yeah. Um, I think there is. An interesting thing in here where they kind of um, are skewering like male sexuality in a way. Uh, just these guys are very like um, they're basically like using their intelligence to try to woo this woman. One, one's a robot, one's a man, but they're both going about it the same way. Yeah, and they they kept using the chess metaphor for that. The way they were fighting over the queen, whether it was more important to get the queen and win the chess match or whatever. Yeah, there's but just some nasty like. It's definitely real creepy. <laughs> Sexuality in this movie that's really off-putting. I mean, I do think it has it has an interesting premise. And, I mean, I guess the characters are kind of complex after, you know, the whole thing. Like, But, I don't know, it just... Yeah. It, it didn't follow through. I really just we could wish we could have got the Asperger's robot without all the creepy rape stuff. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Um, one thing of note about this movie, and a few of these films do this, is they'll name the uh, robot Adam or Eve, which mm-hmm. is kind of this like easy metaphor. And Brian actually pointed that out to me uh, earlier. Or also the the girl's name in this one is Joy. It's like <laughs> Joy, Adam, David. You know, yeah. there's kind of like a biblical mm-hmm. thing going on, but and that kind of points to the uh, what we were saying earlier, but just how like the ideas come before the like story in this, so like the, kind of hammer the metaphor home in this like it's it's something that you enjoy in like an intellectual level instead of like an emotive level. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it I wanted it to be like uh, like coherence or you know a movie like that that has big lofty ideas, mm-hmm. and it, at the end of it, you're left kind of scratching your head and but then when that ending happens it it, try, it wants to be that kind of moment like ooh what I need to question everything I saw before but it doesn't it just leaves you feeling kind of icky and it kind of turned it, into a joke for me mm-hmm. yeah like cause you know uh what's his name Rain Wilson who plays Dwight Schrute shows yeah. up in the end <laughs> and it's like I've seen him in serious roles before like uh your, uh, was it your favorite movie last year The Boy was that one of my favorites one of your favorites so uh, he's in that, and he's really good in this mm-hmm. dramatic performance. But in this movie, when he shows up, you're like, this is a joke. Yeah. Like, he's Why plays this like, evil megalomaniac, and you're Just like... staring at screens for a few scenes, yeah. like, creeping on him. I think it would be a good double feature to watch this and Ex Machina. Oh, totally. Just to see how two movies approach kind of the same subject, but in completely different. And it's obvious which one is better. Yeah. So, so uh, from coming in at number seven from 2014 is a film called The Machine. Uh, I believe it's a British production. Um, can you describe the plot of this? Because I kind of <laughs> fuzzy uh, on the details. They're uh, we're at a cold war with China, and so we're putting all our money into AI experimentation. That's what we're doing instead of nuclear bombs, you know. And there's this one scientist who's trying to, 
he works for the government. He's trying to make an AI for a weapon. At the same time, he's trying to save his daughter, who has some brain disease, which he thinks AI technology can also cure. Right. So yeah, there's like uh, all these wounded soldiers um, that they're trying to like supplement their bodies with machines, but at the same time, their ultimate goal. He's basically using government funds to do this, but what the government wants is like this artificial killing machine. Right. Um, and when he actually creates this artificial intelligence, um, there's a struggle between what he wants, uh, which has these like bigger implications to help humans, and what they want, which is to just murder people. Murder people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the look of this movie a lot, which like I wanted it to. I wanted to like it. A little more than I did, just because the colored lights and the synths and uh, at the yeah, end, like that scene when she was da- doing the ballet dance in the water and oh, her yeah, her skin was glowing and stuff like that. And like you said, the soundtrack is really good to like. Kind of the aesthetics of it were really good, but for me, it just it tried to be two things at once. It was trying to be this like kind of philosophical sci-fi movie, but also it was an action movie too and it it never really figured out like what it wanted to be and well the action at the end is actually really cool left, left me with a cool feeling when she um, starts to rebel and like break out of the government facility and she starts yeah, like and she gets to help all the the injured vets get out of there and stuff like that yeah and uh, when she basically they uh, mapped a human's um, brain to make this AI machine so um she was a political activist when she, uh, or like maybe not super strong political activist, but she had like right. really far left leaning political ideas uh, and wanted to help these soldiers. Uh, so when they turn her into an artificial version of herself, it's really cool that she gets to like have that sort of revolutionary moment at the end. Definitely. And I really like that whole half of the story much better than like the part with the robot and the vets freeing themselves was much more interesting than. The dude and his daughter and yeah. falling in love with the other scientists and stuff like that. I think that's where it was really weak. It's a little muddled movie, but it's got a lot of cool parts to it. Um, that was the only... Let me say this. Automata and um, Transcendence were like the only two movies I didn't quite like on this list. Or maybe Uncanny, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, The Machine I liked. It just had a lot of problems. Um I'll say uh, the number six movie coming up is a very goofy uh, version of this kind of story. It's a Disney movie uh, called Tron Legacy, uh, which is a reboot of, um, or it's a reboot slash sequel to uh, the 80s film Tron. Uh, I will say that James and I liked this movie a lot, but Brian did not. Uh, yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. I mean, but I didn't also, have anything against it or anything like that, but... But I also, I think you didn't see the first Tron. Right, I never right? saw the first Tron. I never saw this one when it originally came out. I just recently watched it for this I, podcast. Right. So. I think uh, knowing the backstory, you know, seeing the first movie and seeing it in theaters. Well, yeah, when it came out in 2010, that IMAX 3D experience was really cool looking. Right, and it's hard to replicate that right. on like watching it on your computer. <laughs> I will say that I enjoy this movie on a purely aesthetical level. Like, yeah. It's just really pretty lights and sounds. Uh, the soundtrack's to my Daft Punk. I mean, the yeah. as far as like character development plot, it's pretty minimal. Yeah. yeah I didn't, I didn't uh, really understand the plot at all. <laughs> how, how those ISOs or whatever were supposed to save the world. Yeah. But, I mean, and honestly... It, it was just more about him getting together with his dad or whatever. It, it's sort of like the original, though. It, the original Tron is kind of slow. There's not a lot of... But it looks like char- a video game in a cool way. But it looks So in that way, it stays true to the original. Mm-hmm. It's just updated for modern times. So, it, I mean, I think it works really well on that level. But if you don't know the backstory and you're just watching it... for it, It's just eye candy. Like- <laughs> it, it is eye candy, but it's really good eye candy. I will say, I um, so the only, like real artificial intelligence um, idea in this is that uh, this guy who created the video game um, has this overriding program that's sort of taken over uh, and what the program thinks it's doing is um, fulfilling a command to create a perfect world because uh, basically he got tired of programming all this stuff he wanted a computer program to do it himself uh, so the program goes rogue uh, and then 
basically um, wants to get out of the video game to turn the world into this perfect thing by getting rid of humans, which is just another singularity story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, based on the AI, and it really doesn't have that much to say. No. Right, it's just <laughs> the AIs are going to realize that humans are bad and try to destroy us. I mean, it's a typical human versus machine story. And then uh, at number five, another Disney property does almost the exact same thing, which is uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, um, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, from last year. Um, And it's the same exact thing. Uh, James Spader plays this uh, artificial intelligence that's meant to keep the world safe um, and protect the world. But he takes that kind of literally and is like, well, if there's no humans, then there's no conflict. So he tries to kill everybody. So it's the exact same sort of singularity right. um, aspect of Tron Legacy. Uh, but this movie is just fun as like an action film. Yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. The, the character of Ultron was just funny. Like Whenever he first came on screen, I started laughing and really paying attention to the movie. and It was awesome. Yeah, James Spader just kind of twirls his mustache in this, uh, even though he doesn't have a literal one. He's just like right. a, just this great villain. Yeah, I mean it's a really, really good summer blockbuster. Like it, it holds up moment to moment. Like I was enjoying it. The jokes were good. The action scenes were really fun. I will say, a few days out after watching it, it didn't really stick in my head. Like that, it wasn't like a great movie. Something that you're going to think about for days afterwards. It's just kind of like you watch it. It's really enjoyable, and then. That's it. You kind of leave it where it is. But for that kind of movie, I thought it was really fun. Um, how do y'all... Uh, I've been watching the Marvel movies for the first time uh, in the past few months. Um, have y'all... Are y'all just out of the loop on these? Yeah, no, or? I was going to say, I haven't seen any of them. I saw the first I mean, Avengers. Right. Uh, so it's not something you really need to catch up with the whole universe to enjoy just because right. it's an yeah. action movie. You know, right off the bat, it goes through a few side jokes, and it hits a side joke for each of the characters, you know, but once you get past all the, the in-jokes from the beginning, it's I mean, I do think it movie. becomes a little sat, like oversaturated, just so many characters. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. So much to hit. Yeah. I mean, I think the movie's like two and a half hours long, and it just like, it does sort of start to drag. There's a little bit too much. And the action scenes, too towards the end get a little too cluttered Mm -hmm. for my liking so it definitely had issues but you know for that kind of movie it was really good what what i liked about it was uh they well besides james spader they introduced this uh sort of like actually good version of the same program or uh uh, a separate artificial intelligence character um whose name is escaping me comes in and wants to save the world uh so it's kind of a cool idea that none of these other movies have done where, like, the machine actually works. Uh, I think, oh, his name's Vision. So, yeah, they make, they create Vision, and it's actually, like, a good version of the same program. Um, right. I don't think any other film on this list has, a, like, a, it's has, like, a good robot. No, a very, positive very spin. few, very few times do they do that. I guess people don't find it as interesting. Yeah. Um, well, maybe uh, number four, Chappie, uh, also <laughs> well, yeah, from last year. <laughs> Maybe hey, he's a good robot. He's good. He's just uh, he's very open influence. <laughs> so what I remember from watching Chappie last year uh, in the theater, I remember enjoying it, but I wasn't surprised that it flopped because it felt like a music video for D'Antward. Uh, and if you don't care about D'Antward, like tricking someone into watching this movie just feels like, you know, like... I mean, I, I think it's good for... Uh, Fans of the old movie Short Circuit, too. Oh, yeah, it, definitely. It really had me feeling nostalgic for that. So if, like, D'Antward uh, and Short Circuit come together and you're <laughs> at all interested in that, then definitely watch this movie. I mean, I, <laughs> as soon as I saw they had, like, an Indian programmer, you know, and his buddy right. robot, <laughs> that to me was like, oh, this is just, like, <laughs> Short Circuit. I, I mean, I loved District 9, uh, Neil Blomkamp's other first first movie. The, right? Yeah, his first. Yeah. So this, Me you know, too. I I definitely didn't like this one as much. Mm-hmm. I thought that the social commentary was a little weaker on this one. Uh, District Nine had all the stuff with apartheid, and it was a very biting yeah. social comment. This is a little more 
just kind of fluff and yeah, it's fun. Just f- fun to watch a robot who's too trusting. Uh, being cared for by a couple of gangsters. Like, right. <laughs> and the, the, the whole idea of the film, if it has an overriding idea about AI, is that there's sort of a responsibility in creation. So, like, when you create this new consciousness, you have to care for it. Yeah. Uh, and basically, you're sort of violating a basic rule about life when you create it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chappie asks uh, his his um, creator, like, why did you make me just to watch me die? Like, what, why would you bring me in this world just so I could die? Uh, and th- if if the movie does have, like, a serious message, that some, there's something in that responsibility. Yeah, I mean, isn't that kind of the responsibility when you bring children into... Because Chappie is very childlike. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of saying, you know, you have a responsibility when you have kids to make sure they have good influences because like in the film Chappie is basically just mimicking whatever's around him just like a child would so I mean I think that was kind of potent that whole kind of allegory or metaphor those are the best parts of the movie when like he's in bed and Yolandi Visser's like reading him bedtime stories (laughs) or uh, ninjas teaching him how to use a pistol Mm -hmm. um there's something really interesting in those parts. Uh, the other aspects where it's this basically police state satire. Um, oh, yeah. And I did like name? Hugh Jackman, though. <laughs> Hugh, Hugh Jackman, Jackman was really fun. <laughs> as a real over-the-top character. He was so <laughs> over-the-top. But that plot is not as interesting as like Definitely. the domestic part yeah. where they're like raising him as a child and sort of fucking him up. Right. Yeah, plot's pretty bare-bones, but I don't know. I thought Hugh Jackman was very funny every time he was on the screen. It was insane. So, uh, yeah, if you like Deanne, we're in short circuit. Um, check out Chappie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our top three were a little more unanimous. Uh, the rest were a little all over the place. Uh, coming in number three, it was released in 2011 in Europe and finally made it to America last year. So it's a good four-year gap, which is a crime because this movie's so good. Uh, it's called Ava. Um, basically, this uh, this guy is hired by a tech company to create um, an artificial intelligence child. uh, And by doing that, he has to return to his roots and reconnect to these uh, people that he sort of left um, behind uh, when he went to go live live on his own for a while. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of damaged souls in this movie, uh, a lot of themes of parenthood, kind of like Chappie as well. Um, I really like this movie because what we were saying earlier about how uh, to make one of these really good, you have to have this sort of humanity and oh, and this maybe more than any other film on the list. This definitely has that human element down. Uh, an- another thing I really liked about it was it was it was very kind of melodramatic and kind of felt like a soap opera, but in I'm saying that in like a positive way. It was just very emotional, and the soundtrack had these like string sections, and it. Uh, is definitely coming from the heart. Uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard what to pick out one thing to say. You know, it's just it's just a really great movie overall. And I don't know. I always have a hard time judge judging whether foreign movies are good or not because I don't think I've ever seen one that I didn't like. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but definitely. It's surprising right. that it took so long to make it over here because it's a really great drama. Well, yeah, and, and also it's a family film too. Like this is a AI movie you could bring your kids to, and yeah, I think definitely. they would enjoy. It. Like it seemed to be kind of trying to go after that that crowd, a more family friendly AI. When it could have turned into something more sinister at the end if they wanted to, but they there are high stakes. Like there are a couple well there's one death and but there's a couple moments of violence that are very striking but yeah more most of it's kind of this tender family dra- drama right reconnecting with uh, old boss relationships when going home and stuff like that um as far as the uh, ai um ideas that this brings to the table um the one major thing uh is the idea of fail safes uh and security mm-hmm. so like when you're trying to stop these uh these machines from becoming stronger than humans, uh, they built in this question of uh, that they asked the robots, which is, uh, what do you see when you close your eyes? 
And uh, when they do that, they sort of just like collapse and erase and start from zero again, right. uh, which was um, kind of an interesting idea because uh, it brings in like that. Um, what's the uh, title of uh, Blade Runner? Uh, the Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Right. Uh, like even if they're um, mimicking intelligence in a way that feels real, they're still at heart a computer program, and there's some kind of like there's this mo- there's this break where they're not quite human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has something to do with the imagination and the soul. Well, and I think the movie kind of, at the very end, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it, but basically, you know, she does have kind of, um, after she's been deprogrammed, she does have a vision of, like, heaven, you know, being on the beach right. with her parents. So it does seem to be pointing that there is a higher... Um, higher state going on there. I don't know. It, yeah, there's some philosophical questions in here about like what is life <laughs> and whether or not you can create it. Uh, but yeah, like we were saying, the drama between the family unit is probably more of the focus of the film. Definitely. Um, and number two was one of my favorite movies from last year, uh, Ex Machina. Um, we've talked about this uh, in a previous episode when we were talking about the best of 2015, but um, basically, it's another Turing test film, just like Uncanny. Um, this uh, megalomaniac uh, computer programmer asshole uh, tries to manipulate not only um, an understudy that's sort of learning the tricks of his trade, uh, but also trying to control uh, the robots he creates in a um, really just unsavory way. And uh, there's this sort of... Um, just a web of manipulation between the three main characters of this film where the robot and the two human males are all manipulating each other in a way where you can't even tell who's playing you as an audience. Um, Yeah, in that way, I do think it's sort of like a Turing test for the audience, really. Like, you have to kind of decide who's being genuine and, you know... For me, I, I do kind of... I can't help but think of Uncanny and how it's similar in the sense that it's a small cast in a very like claustrophobic space. But this movie brings a level of like intensity and just this really kind of tense feeling throughout that, you know, Uncanny is not able to. And I think the cinematography and the lighting is amazing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, a lot of it. One of the more beautiful of the movies. I mean, yeah, yes. they won a uh, Oscar for um, visual effects over Mad Max, which is kind of crazy. I, I do yeah. think the design of uh, Ava mm-hmm. uh, is beautiful because it is. It feels sort of human-like, but you can also see through to like her inner components. Right, and that was a really I thought yeah, great that's design. One of the best uses of CGI, like. Yeah, yeah, it's very uh, measured. Um, it could go over the top of the CGI, but basically they try to keep it nice and simple. Um, another thing that sort of elevates, uh, particularly her character, over what we see in uh, Uncanny is just the acting. Uh, oh, acting's yeah. on a whole nother level in this one, right? You have Donald Gleason, uh, Oscar Isaac, who are like probably two of the best actors around right now. And then this sort of new face, Alicia Vikander, plays the robot, and she just knocks it out of the park. She's yeah, so good. It doesn't doesn't feel uncanny or whatever, like in the uncanny valley, is there. right? But she's actually like a human, but with that CGI, yeah. you can't think of her like a human, even though her face and, he, and her acting is really human-like. Right, and he tells you that trick. He's like, "I'm showing you that she's a robot, so that you can see past that. Like visually, you you see a robot, but." I'm going to convince you through her personality that she's not that, which mm-hmm. is a really interesting approach. So what did y'all think of uh, of the ending? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, personally, I, I love it, but the, I, a lot of stuff I read online, people were like kind of disappointed that she leaves him behind. Or It's an open-end um, thing where I can't tell whether she's supposed to be taking over the world or if she's just going to have her day in the sun, um, literally. Uh, before mm-hmm. her battery runs out, um, yeah. I don't really have an answer for that question. I like how open ended and just kind of weird that ending is, and yeah, the fact that 
she sort of like shows her hand that she was manipulating these two but, men. The whole yeah, time. she was manipulating both but, of them. Hey, so why that should she care about either of them? I mean, from the from the interviews, it seemed like she had some of the memories from uh, some of her other robots that were trapped inside that compound, just like you know, old dude would be. So no, and like I she think knows what she's doing. I think people identified with the main the main character or saw him as the main character when really at the end it's just showing you that Ava was right the main character and uh you know she asked him like are you a good person and he doesn't have an answer or she can tell that he's lying so we don't know what his backstory was or anything like that and i i don't know i think it can be assumed that she sees through him and knows that he just like wants to use her like everyone else. So when at the end when she leaves him behind, I I thought it was awesome, and yeah. I like how open it ended it is as well. Okay, and uh, our number one movies uh, almost unanimous was her from 2013. Um, another movie about uh, another movie about singularity and. Uh, romantic possessiveness in the same way a few of these are um this guy in the near future falls in love with an operating system on his uh cell phone um and it's a really uh personal back and forth story between two people until the program outgrows him and leaves him behind uh directed by spike jones who's in four or five movies earned a lifetime pass like Everything this guy touches is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I avoided this movie for a long time because I thought it had this kind of like twee, like pitchfork kind of preciousness to it in the trailers. But uh, I really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's, it does have that though. It has a little bit of that. I mean, like uh, like we were talking this about this one of my favorite genres of movie is like sci-fi romance or whatever with that same twee like, hipster feeling. Like, what's yeah, what's the one upside down? Yeah, upside oh, I love down. Example. Timer. Uh, I could keep going. Well, the, like we were talking about the fact that they pick Alan Watts right as <laughs> the voice of the you know. One, the AI. One the o, yeah, when the OS's or the AI's or whatever, they all get together and make an AI of Alan Watts that That's they awesome. can talk to, discuss philosophy with, and right. the meaning of existence. But that's definitely targeted towards that, like you're talking about that pitchfork kind of crowd. Mm-hmm. Also loves Alan Watts and mm-hmm. Spike Jones, and it's all. I do think it has an element of that. Like I it don't think really the trailer's calculated. being dishonest, but <laughs> I think that's sort of the. Intentional is that I think he's making the point that those people are extra plugged in, oh, in yeah. a way like you know totally uh, kind of trapped by their devices and they might stuff be able like to that. fall in love with the hipster OS if you could write <laughs> cool songs like that for you. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know if it's an entirely negative portrait of that kind of dependency on technology. I don't think so either because it's very romantic. It's very balanced. Way. And I mean, he has he had that friend uh, who also was just friends with her right. OS, like yeah. And it's it's just to help people through hard times. It's very uh, it's a more companionship than um, any of these other films will be. Uh, I I do think it's kind of questioning like social norms. Like you know, now we kind of judge we would judge someone that fell in love with their OS, but who's to say? You know, a hundred years from now, we might have actual AIs that people can form relationships with, and maybe that taboo will disappear. I mean, I thought I thought a good scene that kind of showed that was when Chris Pratt and uh, Joaquin Phoenix they go on a double date. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris Pratt has this like Asian girlfriend who there was a time when that was seen as like against social norms like an interracial and he's with his os but he doesn't judge him or anything so i think that's just pointing like this is an evolution of social norms so there's a lot of like big ideas in there too and a lot of things to talk about in the end his it's not just his os that outgrew him it's all the ais outgrew outgrew humanity essentially and decided to leave together like and uh Okay, so one cool thing I thought about this was the idea that um, 
Samantha, who's the operating system played by Scarlett Johansson, um, it's basically just like a disembodied voice. So you're focusing entirely on the intelligence part and not like the human aspect of her. So like you just hear her spitballing ideas and sort of growing as a program and as a as a person. Right. Um, and it's really cool way to like get that. It's a cool way to deliver that sort of sci-fi aspect where you're just focusing on her intelligence and what that means. Um, I mean, it, it also you know like the scene where he's playing the the video game. But he's also like on the phone with her and he's in his apartment basically alone, right? He's the only person there, but he's not alone. Like he's talking to the game, he's talking to her. Mm-hmm. So it raises those kind of questions too. Like is in this really just a way for people to like connect and not feel alone in the world too? Like, I don't know. It, it was so good in that it just worked on the personal level. Like I felt for his character. He was just so, he was like a sweet emotional guy. Mm-hmm. And so it worked on that like human level, but then also brought up a lot of like they, big questions. They had too. a really great relationship. You almost understood why that, uh, the, the body, <laughs> a surrogate or whatever, right. wanted to be a part of their relationship. Oh yeah. Like she was in it because she just, liked that they were falling in love and she wanted to help them and you almost feel the same didn't you think it was a little bizarre though that he got so freaked out by the surrogate when his job is to write cards for people (laughs) so it's like he's freaked out but that's basically what his job is like so again it's like yeah there's this whole um through line of just uh emotional detachment and, like, a separation from somebody physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's writing the notes for these people, uh, right. basically, like, taking on their personalities. Uh, and every romantic uh, aspect of this film has sort of, like, a remove to it, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. One step removed. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to add about this genre as a whole before we wrap up? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's... I, I think it's kind of interesting that most of the films in this list, I'm looking at maybe... Seven of them almost uh, are from the last couple of years. Like, uh, I mean, it's not really fair to group Ava in that because it had terrible distribution problems. Yeah. But uh, it's just funny to me that like so much of this has come out uh, recently. When you, there's a lot of movies in this genre, but it's been more of a slow trickle over time. I, I think it's probably gaining more relevancy now because we're basically the vision of her doesn't seem far off like it doesn't seem futuristic anymore a lot of these movies we can kind of see that this could happen in the very near future and that makes it a little more exciting than a movie from the 70s or the 60s their idea of ai was like it was like you know fiction but we actually have computer programs that like right are intuitive in a way that we're li- we're living I- this to a degree so that adds some yeah, we, we all got it. a little bit of Luddite in our heart, and we're all a little worried about, you know, automation coming and taking our jobs or our neighbor's jobs. I'm still rocking a flip like phone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this, like, smartphone that connects me all the time. Like, I'm eventually going to have to get that for professional purposes. Right. But that kind of That's freaks me out in this I movie. <laughs> yeah. In a, per- like, the, the personal romance of her is just so disturbing to me. But I'm sure I'll slip right into it as soon as I get a smartphone. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and also another thing I'll say, the, the top four, and definitely the top three, they all, like we were saying, have heart. And that the other ones on our list, I think that's why they come up short, is they're missing that human element. Even though it is, you know, AI movies. And they're all about what it means to be human. Right. So if you're going to ask questions about what it means to be human, you need to have a strong human element and connection. And all those top movies do that. And it's a really intimate uh, genre. It's like uh, just a small set of people interacting with these machines. So the acting really does need to be top notch. Like Johnny Depp sinks that Transcendence movie so hard. But just Scarlett Johansson's disembodied voice elevates her. And you can tell that there's some really strong just dependence on how someone sells that uh, artificialness um, that can sink or 
make a movie work. Right, it seems Definitely. like the ones that really worked are the ones that didn't try to be artificial. You know, yeah. It's they, they showed their artificiality through different methods, like Ex Machina with the CGI body, uh, her doing it just voiceless, mm-hmm. or just doing her voice and nobody at all. And it's just more believable that way. We know they're supposed to be robots. Don't, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't, yeah. Don't we're, do it over the top. We're already on board. You don't need to like sound like a machine. Um, Although, you know, to mention AI artificial intelligence, that's the really old one with uh, who's that child? Actor? Haley Joel Osment. Right? Yeah, he actually did a kind of good job of acting artificial as a child. Him and in there either but oh Jude Law that, Jude Law yeah, yeah that's one one movie where I've seen them trying to be artificial and it not getting in the way of the acting yeah there's sure. uh, there's a lot of um, movies we, from the past that we could probably form a whole podcast around yeah you could just talk about the history of AI you know going back Blade Runner or Terminator Terminator, Terminator. Uh, Robocop's one of my favorites even though that's kind of like a mixed bag uh, where it's like half artificial and half human, they try to like meld the yeah. two. Right. Uh, I was talking about this with my friend David, and he mentioned uh, Brave Little Toaster is one that could technically <laughs> be considered AI, since they're all machines that come to life. That makes sense <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess uh, before we wrap up, I just want to ask Brian if he has anything he wants to promote coming up. Oh uh, well, I always have a lot of stuff to promote, which you can find on my website. BrianPerkinsAuthor.com. That's Brian with a Y. But since it's a podcast, uh, towards the end of the month, I'm going to be releasing an audiobook for a novella I wrote called Murder in Utopia. No AI in that one. There are some uh, self-driving cars and stuff like that. But definitely give it a look if you're interested in science fiction or utopian fiction of any kind. And we'll we'll link to your website on the, uh, this post too, so people can find it pretty easily. Um, also, uh, I know we mentioned the Marvel Universe earlier. I just started going through those for the first time. Uh, you can go to uh, SwampFlix.com and look under Features, and there's a segment called Agents of SwampFlix, if you want sort of a primer for that upcoming uh, Marvel Civil War movie that's coming up. Um, anything anybody wants to add before I say goodbye? No. That's it. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for having me, y'all. Oh, definitely.